Broadcasting live from atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West, you are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. All right, happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman live on your radio. Hard-hitting news the networks refuse to use, no doubt, starts now. This, my fellow Americans, is the broadcast for April the 6th in the year of our Lord, 2021. This is our one of two and our goal always to protect life, liberty, and property and to promote God, family, and country on your radio and the traditions of our founding fathers. Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, we use the blueprint for liberty, the supreme law of the land, the Constitution for the United States of America as our guide. We reject revolution. We stand for peaceful restoration of the greatest country on the face of the earth, and we're convinced the checks and balances brilliantly put in place by the Founding Fathers, one of the great peaceful solutions we still have at our fingertips. Welcome to the broadcast. Hope you're all doing absolutely fantastic. I'm going to save our recap uh, for next hour because we're just so busy, so many guests, so much going on. You got to love it. All right. Well, actually, I'll do that later this hour. How's that? All right, ladies and gentlemen. We have our incredible guest who joins us monthly, Patrick Simmons. He's with the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation. Find out, ladies and gentlemen, if you live in a right to work state, would you please? There's 27 states that pretend or that protect, I'm sorry, right to work freedom right now. It's 27 states that protect right to work freedom. Righttowork.org is where you can learn more. Patrick Simmons with me. Welcome to the broadcast, sir. Good morning, Sam. All right, there's so much to cover, so little time. Is forced unionism about to become the law of the land? Will big labor kill all 27 states' right-to-work laws? Yeah, they're talking about big labor's crown jewel legislation. It's called the PRO Act, or so-called the PRO Act, if you will. It's H.R. 824, as far as I understand it, passed the House. It has not passed the Senate. It's really the Pro-Union Boss Act is the way you can look at it. It's a fast-tracked, big, what, grab bag <laughs> of big labor's worst ideas in the last 50 years, folks. It is seriously a, 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 a doozy. Patrick, let's start there. Uh, is this thing already passed the House? Yeah. It's already through the House, um, and, uh, yeah, now it's, it's with the Senate uh, Chuck Schumer has said it's a, it's a priority for him. He uh, I think he told union officials at the AFL-CIO last week, "Get me get me to 50 co-sponsors and and I'll get you a vote." I think they have 46 right now in the Senate. Um, and uh, yeah, it it uh, is a smorgasbord. I think is is one of the ways we describe it. Of, of like you said, just basically every bad. Um, legislative idea that union bosses have had for at least the last past century are in this bill. So we're talking about wiping out all 27 right to work laws um, by federal fiat. That's, you know, the, the big headliner item, but there's a whole host of other terrible uh, items below that. You've got card check. That's where instead of uh, workers having a secret ballot election decide whether their workplace is going to be under a union monopoly the uh, union organizers get to go, and, and maybe uh, two or three of them show up at your door and say, hey, we've got a bunch of other people signing this. You really should sign this. You know, when we get into the workplace, we're going to be the ones controlling everything. And, and they pressure people to sign a card, and then as soon as they sign it, that's kind of as a vote. And they get 50% plus one of the workers to sign those cards. 
Um, and suddenly the entire workplace, even those who maybe never even knew there was an organizing uh, campaign going on, they're all covered under the union boss monopoly. Um, it would grant what they call first contract binding arbitration. Um, but what this really means is that uh, after a couple months, let's say the union is demanding all sorts of things and um, the employer says, you know, look, I'm going to go out of business if we, if we implement what you're asking for. Uh, they get to go and get a government-appointed arbitrator who imposes the contract. Um, and that contract does can be over the objections of not only the business, but over the objections of a majority of workers, and yet it doesn't matter. That's the contract, um, and it's you, so you've got government arbitrators creating forced dues contracts and imposing them on workplaces. Um, and there's a bunch of other terrible things we can go through. I mean, it, it basically wipes out freelance and independent contractor jobs so that all those people um, in that growing sector of the economy can be uh, forced to pay union dues. Um, and there's a bunch of more technical changes, but it's a, it's a very bad bill. Um, it really is. Um, every single aspect of it is designed for one thing and one thing only, and that's to force more people to pay more dues to union officials um, and and for them to be fired if they don't pay. Uh, and if you look at all the different aspects of the legislation of the so-called PRO Act, um, the pro-union boss bill or, or push-button uh, unionism is another way that we describe it, more accurate than obviously the PRO Act. Um, and uh, it's all there and it's all about getting people to pay more forced dues so that union bosses have more money they could spend on campaigns and elect more people who will grant them more powers. And that's the vicious cycle um, that we need to break um, or, or at least slow down. And that means blocking uh, this, this legislative proposal. Ladies and gentlemen, this big labor's crown jewel has already passed the House. It's threatening big time in the Senate. It's called the PRO Act, ladies and gentlemen, or Big Labor Boss Act, if you will. Uh, if the PRO Act passes, folks, all right-to-work laws will be gone in the blink of an eye, okay? Workers will be banned from hearing anything but pro-union propaganda is the problem here. Now, we've been slowly but surely making incredible incremental changes for right-to-work in the last many years with uh, Donald Trump uh, involved and in charge, etc. cetera. Uh, a lot of Republicans make it a good difference. This is not really a Republican-Democrat debate. You'd like to think, because I don't like to divide between Republican and Democrat. However, you've seen this administration change, and then you've seen the reality. We were doing pretty good and thought we had a good handle on this. We handed the National Labor Relations Board uh, their hat uh, and said bye just a few short months ago in the Supreme Court, maybe a year or so plus ago, year and a half, maybe time flies. But anyway, not too long ago. And now in the blink of an eye, things have turned, and now they're threatening to gut everything we've accomplished, Patrick. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, we've, we've seen five new states become uh, pass right-to-work laws since 2012. Um, so we've had a, a decade of, of really expanding worker freedom. Um, like you talked about, some really good things from the Trump NLRB over the last four years. Um, and there's actually still a majority on the board through August, and, and we're hopeful that they can even get a little more done between now and then. Um, but you've got a, uh, a White House that is just throwing its lot fully in um, with forced dues and, and forced unionism and appeasing union bosses. 
Um, and that's to the detriment of, uh, of workers. And that's one of the think, things that we key in on because that's really, it exposes them so clearly. You know, you, you look at polling, um, rank and file workers like having union dues be voluntary. They like that they get a choice. They deserve that choice, you know, and if you can't, if you want to claim to be pro-worker, how can you be in favor of stripping a worker of their right to decide whether or not to support a private organization and saying, no, 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 union bosses know what's best for you, pay up or be fired. Um, and, and we know from polling, I mean, the, the last uh, Gallup poll uh, that, that asked the right to work about uh, people's support for right to work found not only, you know, 80 percent, 75, 80 percent of all Americans supported right to work, but there was a majority of Democrats, that, that, um, voters that supported right to work. Huge numbers of Republicans and independents um, are in favor of, of voluntary dues, not forced dues. Um, so I think even if you look at, the, you know, we, we talk about the parties, but there's just like there's a divide between rank and file and those at the top. Um, I think that's very much the case uh, of Democrats as well. There's a lot of Democrats who, who think, you know, look, I, I, you know, of course, right to work. It makes sense. Common sense. Let people choose. You know, you, you decide whether you want to contribute to uh a church or whether you want to join uh, Sam's club or, or whether, um, you know, you want to join the, the rotary club or, or any other private organization and unions should just be the same as that. And that means workers should join if they want, but not be forced to. Um, and, you know, uh, we, we always remind people a right to work law cannot stop a single worker from joining a union. A right to work law cannot stop a single worker from paying dues to a union. They can pay as much money to a union if they, if they want. They can theoretically give every dollar they make to a union official in a right-to-work state. Nothing stops anyone from doing that if it's their choice. It's about the people who don't choose, um, who don't voluntarily uh, associate with a union. And, and those are the workers whose rights are protected by right-to-work laws that are under threat from this so-called PRO Act. Well, and let's be very clear, Patrick Simmons, righttowork.org, about our goal, our agenda, our efforts. We're not trying to stop unions from existing. We're not trying to stop people from voluntarily and freely associating, voluntarily joining unions, freely associating with uh, one another. We're not against people trying to advocate for a better uh, situation with the boss. Uh, You know, a counterbalance to big labor or big business um, you know, is workers organizing? There's nothing wrong with your freedom to associate and freedom to choose. Okay, let's be very clear about that. What we're talking about is pulling the lever of government in favor of the union bosses, not even the rank and file, but the union bosses, giving them special privilege in every sector of our society, special forced money manipulation to then lord over you by force. Okay, so let's be very clear about what we're talking about. We're not against unions. We're not against free association. We are against the forced mechanisms, the dishonest mechanisms at the top that protect union bosses who oftentimes don't even represent the rank and file. That's the problem we have. We want transparency. We want accountability. We want agency or choice for the worker. And we want free association, not force. Quick pause. Patrick Simmons. RightToWork.org in seconds. The spirit of the American West is live and well in Range Magazine, the award-winning quarterly devoted to the issues affecting the American West. Each issue contains informative articles, 
breathtaking imagery, as well as the culture of cowboy spirit today, and gift ideas like the 2021 Real Buckaroo Calendar. Order online from rangemagazine.com. Loving Liberty Network salutes the spirit of the American West at rangemagazine.com. Well, my mom smokes and my dad smokes, and I saw them smoking, so I tried it. They're telling me not to smoke, but they smoke themselves. When it comes to smoking, are you sending mixed signals? But when you teach someone a certain way to do things and you go back on that certain way, it sends mixed signals to the person that they're trying to teach. The parents need to be the example. Smoking. If you think you're old enough to start, you're smart enough to stop. A public service message from this station and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I really don't want to talk about this, but I will. I'm just so mad. I didn't get asked to the junior prom, and it's raining, which means by the time I get to school, I'm soaking wet. Dad picked me up just after I left, and I was so mad I got out, and he said, wait, your mom said to give you this. I forgot my lunch money, and then I dropped it in the water, and I was late for history, and so at lunchtime, I had to find something on John Stuart Mill, which, of course, our library didn't have, so I had to walk all the way down to the office to call my mom, and she found something on the Internet and called me back. And Karen, she wouldn't even help me, and that's a whole other story. But Dad helped me conjugate nouns or whatever on the way to the swim team workout and then he read my history paper while I was in the pool and of course I forgot the bibliography so I had to do that with my mother when I got home and it made me totally forget that I put my jeans in the washer that morning and I hate it when they sit wet like that all day and smell like mildew but my mom said she put them in the dryer while I was at the swim team and you know I'm just not gonna go to the prom no matter who asks me I just want to stay home with my mom and dad family and just hang out isn't it about time unless Dustin asked me from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints All right, back with you live, ladies and gentlemen. Patrick Simmons with me, righttowork.org. Ladies and gentlemen, big labor's crown jewel legislation is the PRO Act. H.R. 824 already passed the House. It's threatening in the Senate, ladies and gentlemen. It's more appropriately called the Pro-Union Boss Act. It's on the fast track. It's a grab bag of big labor's wishes. Worst ideas over the past 50 years. Ladies and gentlemen, if this thing passes, your right to work will be gone. Yeah. All right to work laws will be gone. Yep, card check will be back. Propaganda is all you're going to hear. Um, this is serious. Okay, they will use federal law to force federal unionism. They will impose government mandates via the forced union crowd. So let's be very clear, Patrick Simmons. We're not even against unions. We're not even against free association. We're not even against, okay, and none of our efforts uh, will strike at that. What we're striking at is the forced nature, the secretive manipulation, the government uh, backing or uh, giving special privilege to. It's this lack of transparency. It's this the leaders at the top get rich and then don't represent the people. It's, it's that discussion, the forced nature that we're rejecting. I don't know how to say it more forcefully, completely rejecting, right? Yeah, it, it's the coercive aspect of government um, imposing unions on people. And that's the problem. Um, it starts that the twin powers uh, of, of government-granted coercion that union bosses have been given is the power to force their representation on workers who don't want it, and then double down in non-right-to-work states, force those people 
to pay them money as a condition of working under the representation that they didn't want to begin with. Um, and, and we're about voluntary unions, let people join unions if they want, um, let them associate freely, absolutely, but it shouldn't be coerced. It shouldn't be government-granted coercion that's causing all this. And, and you talked about that, that it, I mean, it, 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 it's so obvious um, that when, the, when, when dues are voluntary, you know, a union official goes, hmm, if I make a, if I do this or I do that or I stake out a position that's really out of touch, um, you know, a bunch of workers may cut off their dues because that's what people do. They say, you know, this, this business, it, they used to do a really good job, but the service has been really lousy lately. And I feel like, the, you know, I don't get value for what I, what I spend my money on. I'm not going to shop there anymore. That's how, you know, uh, freedom of association is supposed to work. And yet here, it's instead of the union officials working for the rank and file, uh, it, it flips it on its head and where there's forced union dues and the rank and file are working so that union officials can get their money. Um, and that's the problem. And it, and it leads to a, a disconnect and it leads to a disconnect on political uh, types of things. I mean, one of the, the first actions um, taken by the Biden administration was to cancel all these pipelines. That destroyed, I think they estimate, 10,000, 10, maybe more union jobs. Um, and yet those very unions had all endorsed Biden. And yet it's, it's um, you know, they, they literally supported a guy whose day one action wiped out tens of thousands of jobs. And, and that's, you know, that's just a, one example of the disconnect. Uh, where union officials far too often, and particularly because they can coerce people under their representation, they can force them to pay dues or be fired, they don't really have to think about the impact on the rank and file of their actions. Um, they're more worried about their own powers, and they probably said, well, sure, Biden may do an executive order to, to get rid of the Keystone Pipeline and all the union jobs that, that my members want, but he might help pass the PRO Act. And then... I won't have to answer to anyone and those right to work states won't even exist anymore. And all these workers will be forced to pay me money or be fired. Um, and so they took the self-interest, uh, even though it meant selling out what's best for the rank and file and forced unionism encourages that voluntary unionism is a check on that. Ladies and gentlemen, it's also about when I say that the government gives unions special privilege and power, look, the unions even have by government permission, the ability to be violent and get a pass. And when we see the riots over the last whatever uh, and, and the, the you know abuse of, of power and the, and the mistrust from the people and everything else, the last thing we need to do is have government-sanctioned violence via unions against the people who simply want to work and be free to associate and negotiate for their own wages, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, this is becoming center stage discussion almost uh, because of that, Patrick. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you mentioned that there's a loophole in federal law um, from the Anti-Extortion Act where uh, union militants in pursuit of, quote, legitimate union objectives can actually uh, do something that if anyone else did, it would violate federal racketeering and, and, and violence um, bills, the Hobbs Act, uh, federal extortion law, and yet they get away with it and they get a, a special exemption. And we've seen that used before. I mean, they'll say, well... Okay, well, you know, that threat we made or that violence um, that we conducted is because we were trying to get uh, 
to organize this particular workplace. And so we've seen union lawyers, sometimes successfully, sometimes fortunately not, go into federal court and get union bosses or, or other uh, union militants off um, on the basis of this uh, this decision. And, and there's a, the Freedom from Union Violence Act is a bill that's been introduced um, in, in every recent uh, Congress. I don't think it's been introduced yet this year, but I know it usually gets introduced around Labor Day. Um, and so I would expect that to happen again. But it's just one example um, of these special government-granted powers and exemptions that treat unions and union officials different from any other private association. Um, and that's the problem we're talking about. And one other thing, um, Sam, that, uh, you know, it's, I guess it's, it's maybe it's unsurprising, but, you know, um, last week uh, Biden rolled out what's, what's being euphemistically called an infrastructure plan, but it's, it's really kind of just a wish list of all these things that, um, that he wants um, and, you know, payoffs to various special interest groups. And the union officials, unsurprisingly, um, have a whole host of uh, items in there, but he even included the PRO Act, the, the Pro-Union Boss Act, the push-button unionism bill, in his so-called infrastructure agenda um, and plan, and is uh, attempting to, to include that and, and force that through Congress um, on the basis that somehow forcing millions and millions of workers to pay union dues is going to help our roads and bridges and, and that sort of thing. And, of course, that's absurd. The only thing that he's interested in building seems to be uh, force dues power for his allies in big labor. The idea that we even have a Freedom from Union Violence Act pretty much tells the story that, hey, this is a serious uh, point to be made, not just Sam Bushman's kind of uh, crazy concerns. You need to support the Freedom from Unions Violence Act, ladies and gentlemen. We need freedom from uh, violence from everybody, anybody, all the time. That is the proper role of government. Last question before we let you fly, um, Patrick Simmons. What if I have a religious objection to being affiliated with a union, huh? Yeah, that's uh, that's an option. I mean, of course, if you're protected by a right to work law. Um, now, unfortunately, you, you, uh, you can't. Uh, religious objection to union representation um, is not something that uh, there's any uh, protection against. I mean, so you, if you just object to um, the fact that you're being forced under union representation, you don't want. Um, there's not much that can be done for you under the current law. However. Um, you can be protected for having to fund a union. And that's important, of course, in the 23 states that don't have right to work laws. Um, and it's, uh, it's one of the things we've, uh, we've seen a lot of people come to us, but under, um, the EEOC, uh, Equal Opportunity, um, Commission, there's a special, uh, place where an employer and a union have to accommodate your religious objections to funding a union. We see a lot of people of faith who look at the union agenda. They, they think about um, their religious beliefs and they, and they say, these are just not compatible. I can't be funding this organization that stands for so many things um, that are, you know, that conflict with my, my religious faith. And so um, there's this whole area of law where one of the options in non-right-to-work states is usually instead of the amount that you would normally have to pay to a union, um, you can actually divert that instead to a charity, um, one that you agree to. Often the union will have to agree to it as well. But at the very least, you know your money is not funding uh, an organization that you object to um, on, for, for religious uh, reasons. 
And so that's uh, something people should look at. They can go to the National Right to Work Foundation website, righttowork.org um, or nrtw.org, same, same date. Um, and you can, uh, you can read about that and your rights and request for your legal aid because it can be a complicated process, but it is a, it is a protection that people have. Ladies and gentlemen, learning how it all works and getting involved in meaningful ways to protect your God-given rights, especially the right to work, is critical. Patrick Simmons, RightToWork.org. Thank you. We'll have you back soon, brother. Great work. God bless you. All right, there he goes. Quick pause. Liberty Roundtable live in seconds. Your daily Liberty Newswire. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA Radio News with Lance Pride. U.S. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell lashed out at corporate America on Monday, warning CEOs to stay out of the debate over the new voting law in Georgia. Georgia employers Coca-Cola and Delta Airlines have spoken out against the law signed by Governor Brian Kemp, and Major League Baseball pulled the 2021 All-Star Game out of the state over the law strengthening identification requirements for absentee ballots in future elections. The Senate parliamentarian ruled on Monday that Democrats may use a procedural tool known as reconciliation to pass the $2 trillion infrastructure bill with zero Republican support. This now removes the potential Republican filibuster. New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern announced Tuesday New Zealand will open a quarantine-free travel bubble with Australia starting April 18th. New Zealand tourism industry and the New Zealand Chamber of Commerce say the plan could serve as a model for other countries to reopen safely. USA Radio News. Woke culture. It's choking America. Erasing our history. Threatening our freedoms, our laws, and even our police. Now, Grant Stinchfield exposes the secret woke agenda and the hidden players behind this very dangerous movement. Watch Stinchfield tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern on Newsmax TV as he reveals the real dangers to you and your family. Everyone is talking about Stinchfield, because each night he gives you the cold, hard truth you need to know. Newsmax is now America's fastest-growing cable news channel on all major systems. If you don't get it, call your cable operator. Tell them you want Newsmax or you'll switch. Remember, you can get Newsmax free on Roku, YouTube, Zumo, Pluto, Amazon Fire, and smart TVs like Samsung, Sony, Vizio, or LG. It's even free on your smartphone. Just download the free Newsmax app and start watching. So find out about Woke and its dangerous plans for America on Grant Stinchfield tonight. Just tune into Newsmax TV. It's real news for real people. Russian President Vladimir Putin has changed the Russian constitution that would enable him to stay in power another 15 years. Dan Araki from the Ohio USA Radio News Bureau reports. Vladimir Putin has signed a law changing the Russian constitution that would allow him to possibly stay in power until 2036. The law allows him to stand for election for another two terms after his current term expires in 2024. The legislation formalizes changes made in a referendum last year, a vote that opposition leaders say was tarnished by widespread irregularities. Putin is currently in his fourth six-year term, having been in power for more than 17 years, longer than any Russian leader since Joseph Stalin. The Constitution of the Russian Federation went into effect on Christmas Day, 1993. Democrat Senator Joe Manchin warned Monday that the Biden administration's massive infrastructure package can't pass in its current form because he and a handful of other Senate Democrats believe the corporate tax hikes proposed in the bill are just too expensive. USA Radio News. All right. 
Back with you live, ladies and gentlemen. I am Sam Bushman. That was Patrick Simmons' last half hour doing a phenomenal job. National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation. Find out if you live in a right to work state. 27 states protect worker freedom right now. Righttowork.org to learn more about that. But you know what? Is forced unionism about to become the law of the land? Will big labor kill all 27 right-to-work state laws? Big labor's crown jewel legislation has just passed the House. It's the PRO Act, H.R. 824. It's not pro in my opinion. It's really the Pro Union Boss Act, ladies and gentlemen, and they're threatening to close the deal. Yeah, it's big labor's worst ideas over the past 50 years, and Joe, whacked out Grandpa Joe, has threatened to sign that sucker. If the PRO Act passes, all right-to-work laws will be gone in the blink of an eye, ladies and gentlemen. Card check government imposed or forced unionism will become the law of the land from sea to shining sea. Wow. Workers will be banned from hearing anything but union propaganda. Violence will get crazy if anybody opposes them. They will be on their role and plan for tyranny. You got to support the Freedom from Union Violence Act as well. You got to stand for your right to work, ladies and gentlemen. If you have a religious objection right now to be affiliated with a union, you don't have a whole lot of anything you can do about it, sad to say. You can go and work with certain states and defund or put your money to a charity. You can't not spend the money, though. That's the interesting whacked-out manipulation of the law they got going on here. If I say, no, I'd rather keep my money myself, thank you. No, no, no. You'll be forced to designate it to go elsewhere. You still are fleeced from your money. They still rape your wallet, right? I know that's a term that a lot of people don't like to hear. Man, Sam, that's just overly hostile. I, I don't like it when you say that. And my response is, what is it when you force me to pay when you force me to pay and then you literally have by government mandate the ability to commit violence against me if I don't and then I say oh they're raping my wallet how is it not that take government school in the government for example hey they're stealing from everybody all taxpayers to fund government school how do you say that's not a rape of your wallet oh well Sam because they're doing it gently and softly Well, the rapist is kind of sweet and kind, I guess, right? See, that's the lie. No, they're not kind. They're stealing your money, and they're funding communist-style propaganda, the 10th plank of the Communist Manifesto, with your money. That's hostile. That's force. That's tyranny. That's abuse. That's not kind and gentle. See, that's the problem. And that's why I have such a bold stance, because I call a spade a spade. All right, let's do the recap of yesterday's show. I wanted to get to Patrick Simmons first because he's so explosive, so valuable in his information and his delivery that we just got to discuss it. Yesterday, we had our buddy Lowell Nelson campaign for liberty.org on your radio. Ron Paul Institute.org. Lowell always does just a phenomenal job. And we talked about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints held its 191st semi-annual general conference uh, last weekend. It was two days, Saturday and Sunday, literally five conference sessions, two hours per session, amounting to 10 hours of admonition and testimony 
about the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Uh, we talked about Neil Anderson, one of the speakers who told about a 16-year-old unwed mother who gave her daughter up for adoption. This address was strong against the evils of abortion. We talked about a guy by the name of Jeffrey R. Holland who described an economy of goodness and observed that the biggest deficit is the paucity of love, hope, and charity. Can we have a virtuous government without a virtuous people? The answer is clearly a resounding no. Dallin H. Oaks, well-known former attorney and uh, leader of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or one of the leaders, spoke boldly about the Constitution. He said the Constitution provides structure and limits. It was established by God for the rights and protections of all flesh. Why, you may ask? Because the moral agency of man is sacred. That's right. And for man to be accountable for his own sins, he must have his own agency or his own freedom to choose. That's critical. And in fact, Dallin Oaks highlighted five principles of the Constitution that I believe are really critical. One, sovereignty lies with the people. Two, authority is divided between the states and the general government. Even in Richard Mack's Supreme Court case decision, Antonin Scalia, the justice writing the majority opinion, said there are dual sovereigns, highlighting the, the separation there. The third one is authority is separated among the three branches of government, legislative, executive, and judicial. So you got vertical and horizontal checks and balances there, ladies and gentlemen. Each can check the power of the others, right? Number four, the Bill of Rights is really a list of prohibitions saying specifically what the general government may not do. You heard me, may not do. Five, it established the rule of law, not the rule of man. So really we're talking about established God's laws, laws that are simple and easy to understand so that people can govern themselves. Based on correct principle, people learn to govern themselves. All right, there you have it. The World Health Organization pushes what they call a pandemic treaty. A national pandemic treaty would be a stepping stone to world government. Yeah, they're calling for the world to unite behind an international pandemic treaty. It is disaster because it promotes the federal, or sorry, the international government. Reject it, ladies and gentlemen. Reject it, would you please? All right, that rounded out first hour, available at libertyroundtable.com and lovingliberty.net. The second hour, Charles Barkley, well-known uh, former NBA star, says politicians divide black-white and rich-poor America. Amen. He goes on, in my opinion, and does a stellar job, and he says, listen, I believe most black people and I believe most white people are good and are not racist don't, and don't hate each other. There is not a divide. 
We're great people. But you know what? The politicians, the media, the leaders, they divide us all under every fault line. It's got to stop, says Charles Barkley. And I couldn't agree with him more. I think he's spot on right. Okay? I, I think he's just right as could, could be. And I wish we had more people understanding that and pushing back politely saying, look, we're not racist. We don't hate each other. Male, female, black, white, Republican, Democrat, we're not all enemies. It's just not true. We can stand together shoulder to shoulder despite our uh, disagreements on some things or our varying opinions on a variety of things or our diversity or whatever we want to use. But we can still be kind and friends and, and support one another as neighbors and we can agree to disagree and we can, you know what, let people live and think and believe and as they want to. Imagine that idea. Imagine if we could really heal our land and work together. All right, there's a new report from the U.S. Census Bureau, and it found that the rate of homeschooling doubled from the start of the COVID-19 pandemic to the beginning of this school year. The survey found that in the spring of 2020, only about 5.4% of U.S. households homeschooled. But you know what? Now it's 11%. Believe it or not, before the pandemic, it was only 3%. So literally, before the pandemic started, it was about 3% in America. Now it's literally four times that. And it's great news. Now let's be very clear, though. Dr. Scott Bradley with me provided a wise warning indeed. And the warning he gave is, hey, just because you're taking your kids home due to the pandemic, if you're still letting the government schools be the teacher, be the guide, be the facilitator, whatever you want to say, if you're using their curriculum in there, be very, very, very cautious and aware because they're still peddling propaganda. They're still promoting, for the most part, things that Christians disagree with. So you know what? It's good that people are home. I acknowledge that as a first step, and you got to start somewhere. But I also acknowledge Dr. Scott Bradley's wise warning that hey, just because they're homeschooling, don't you know? Don't breathe a sigh of relief thinking it's all good because it may not be. Find out who your teachers are. Find out what they're teaching. Get a grip. Get a handle. Do it now. We talked also about three dangers that threaten us from within. We'll talk about that in seconds. On your radio. Abby Johnson was once director of a Planned Parenthood clinic in Bryan, Texas. After a moral crisis, she quit, and now she campaigns against what she once endorsed. They implement abortion quotas in all of their clinics. What do you mean quotas? You have to perform a certain number of abortions every month. Um, one of the reasons that I left... Are they explicit about that? Yes. It's, it's in your budget, right there on the line item. Uh, one of the reasons I left Planned Parenthood was because uh, in a budget meeting, I was told to double that abortion quota. And for me, as someone who had spoken to the media and had said, you know, we're about reducing the number of abortions, we're about, you right. know, prevention, all of these other services, I was shocked. So since this. you actually worked at a Planned Parenthood, give us some sense of the relative number of abortions. Okay, abortions, Planned Parenthood provides over 330,000 abortions a year. They are the largest single abortion provider in our country. As a parent, is receiving a faith-based, character-focused education for your children difficult to find? Do you believe that godly principles should be a central component in your child's education? 
Imagine a school where faith and integrity are at its center, where heritage and responsibility instill character. For over 40 years, American Heritage School has been educating both hearts and minds, bringing out academic excellence. This is the school where character and embracing the providence of a living God are fundamental, where students' national test scores average near the 90th percentile. With American Heritage School's Advanced Distance Education Program, distance is no longer an issue. With an accredited LDS-oriented curriculum from kindergarten through 12th grade, your children can attend from anywhere in the world. American Heritage School will prepare your child for more than a job. It will prepare them for life. To learn more, visit American-Heritage.org. That's American-Heritage.org. All right, Sam Bushman, final segment this hour. Back with you live. This half hour is brought to you in part by Raw Honey, delivered directly to your door. To learn more, get a hold of Kurt Crosby. That's Kurt, C-U-R-T, at libertyroundtable.com. Or you can call or text anytime, 801-669-2211. That's 801-669-2211. If you like the website approach, localhoneyman.com gets that done. That's localhoneyman.com. Uh, we talked about the importance of moral education. And my phrase is, look alive, people, relating to Dr. Scott Bradley's warning that, hey, be careful. You know what? Homeschooling is quadrupled in America, which is wonderful news. But you better make sure what your kids are learning and who is teaching them. I'll tell you that right now. And Dr. Scott Bradley warned Ezra Taft Benson, former Secretary of Agriculture in the Eisenhower administration, spoke out about three dangers that threatened what he called his church from within at the time. But I think it threatens the nation from within. It threatens schooling and education from within. The three dangers that threaten us from within, flattery of prominent men in the world. When you look to man, the arm of flesh rather than God, you're in trouble, folks. Number two, false educational ideas. Like this idea that you don't have a right to work. Like this idea that unions must be compulsory. Like this idea that, you know what, you got to embrace the 10 planks of the Communist Manifesto. It, it flies in the face. It's 180 degrees from the freedom-loving Constitution in America, ladies and gentlemen. And the third one, sexual impurity. Okay? They want to promote all sex except for the God-ordained kind, which is between one man and one woman, legally and lawfully married. Okay? All sex they want to promote except for the God-ordained kind. And we need to stand with the moral compass and say, you know what? Sex is a wonderful, blessed thing, but only to be used within God's law. God sets the limits. God sets the circumstances and parameters to which the procreative power can be engaged in. And it's a blessing. It's a wonderful thing when used properly and it's in the proper context. It's usually compared to a fire in the fireplace. When a fire is controlled... And in its proper space and time and circumstance, it's a blessing. Provides warmth, likes to cook your food, and there's so many benefits from a fire. But when the fire gets out of the fireplace, it just burns out of control and destroys everything in its path. Same thing is true with the sexual procreative power. You know, you get abortions and babies out of wedlock and mistrust and confusion and uh, abuse to women. And I mean, it goes on and on and on and on. But when the procreative power that God gave us, the sexual relationship, is used within the 
proper sphere, then it is a blessing indeed. So the three dangers that threaten us from within on a nation point of view, flattery of prominent men in the world, false educational ideas, and sexual impurity. Okay, beware of those things, ladies and gentlemen. And that's a recap, by the way, of the broadcast that took place yesterday on the broadcast. We're going to have Ammon Bundy coming up here soon, next hour. And uh, I guess he got arrested again in Idaho. And we have the details of how and why and what the battle points are now. We're going to hear it directly from Ammon himself. I don't like to just read the news and figure it out, especially when we know him. We just call up and say, Ammon, what's your side of the story, buddy? And we let him tell it. That's how we roll. But for the rest of this hour, headline is pretty cool, says this. Spurred by lockdown, Spain gives four-day week a try. Yeah, kind of a cool story here. Story is by um, Iris Para or Eritz Para, I guess it is. Anyway, experimenting with cutting back one workday per week is about to go nationwide in Spain, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, pretty cool, huh? They say. A three-year pilot project will be using 50 million euros. That's about $59 million from the European Union, or I guess from the massive coronavirus fund, to compensate companies as they resize their workforce and or move to a 32-hour work week. They want to adapt to a 32-hour working week. They say Madrid Associated Press brings this up. And I just find it a fascinating story. After years of waiting tables, um, Danny Devise, or Danier Devise, I guess is how you say her name, is one step closer to achieving her lifetime dream of becoming a theater coach. Ironically, she owes that to the pandemic. It was after last year's brutal lockdown that shut everything down. Um, I guess the Spanish economy was down for weeks, and it gave her the ability to kind of look around and say, man, what can I do? Already struggling to make ends meet in the city that has seen Rent prices spiral. The 28-year-old was hesitant at first. But then you know what? She was enthusiastic when she was told, yeah, you go back to 32 hours, we won't decrease your wages. Now I have time to work, to see my family and friends, and to find enough time to study, she said. It's marvelous to have time to not rush everywhere and have a little bit of peace. A happier and more motivated, I guess uh, everybody's happy when they propose what they call four-day week rotational shifts, which is kind of interesting. Four-day work shifts. They also talked about this lady who's a mother of two toddlers. And her startup partner, I guess they had both struggled 
to keep the business going because of the COVID, right? But there was a feeling of, well, happier people, more motivated people. They say, believe it or not, it's better for everybody this four-day work week. Happier, more motivated people and all that kind of stuff. What do you think of that, folks? Do you like it? Now, I find this interesting, this whole idea. They say there was a feeling that society had turned its back on family. That we had been betrayed. But this gives us solutions for our employees, our businesses, our families, our lives. Experimenting with cutting back. One work day per week is about to go nationwide in Spain. The first country in Europe to do so. Isn't that interesting? They say the funds will go to subsidizing all the employers' extra costs of the first year of the trial. And then it will reduce the government involvement from 50% to 25%, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The only condition is that the readjustment leads to a real net reduction in hours while maintaining full-time contract salaries, this leader from their General Assembly explains. It's not using the European funds for Spaniards to work less. It's about seeing how we can improve productivity and competitiveness of our companies. Arguments in favor of the move also cite benefits for the overall economy. Listen, here's what they say. They say a mass shift to a three-day weekend would increase consumption, especially in entertainment and tourism, which is the backbone of the Spanish economy in Spain, they say. Reducing work hours from 40 to 35 per week in 2017 resulted in a 1.5% GDP growth and they say a ton of new jobs. Anyway, it benefited women who often take more part-time jobs. And they talked about this software company in Spain that did this. And they say it really reduces absenteeism as well because people have time to go to the bank or go to the doctor. And they usually choose their day off to get it done. Now, critics say that a pandemic-shaken economy is not the environment for experiments. Now, Spain has suffered from intermittent lockdowns and et cetera, et cetera. They also warn about a one-size-fits-all scenario. It's best to try first and then scale it up, not do it all at once. Okay. Some have a lukewarm response to the project. Nevertheless, at least a half a dozen companies have already reached out expressing interest, saying this is a great idea. In Spain, we have moved from, quote, presenteeism, where people had to be at the office for a very long time, to a scenario where we uh, are working even more. Now, I'm not a fan at all of government... uh, what do you want to call it? Backed work or funded work or whatever you want to say. I'm not a fan of that at all. I believe it should be left to the private sector. No doubt about it. However, I'm going to say this. I do believe four-day work weeks are better. 
I do believe that you either need to have a shorter work week so you have days off, or you need to have shorter days. For example, I'm not even opposed to working four hours a day, five hours a day, six days a week. Right? A five-hour a day, six days a week would be 30 hours of work, but yet spread out. So it doesn't matter if you get a lot of days off or if you have a shorter work time, but there's got to be more time for family. There's got to be more time for uh, being able to do the things that are needed, go to the doctor and take care of personal responsibilities. And, okay, when you work, say, you know, the traditional schedule of 9 to 5 or 8 to 6 because you got to have a mandated government lunch break or whatever else. You know, it can be very taxing on people, and they don't have a chance to take care of their lives. And especially when husbands and wives both work, it's it's extremely difficult, especially difficult for them because nobody's home to take care of those things. And uh, so this shift in my mind, I'm not really for a government-backed or funded shift here, but I do think that the four-day works week bears significant fruit. I do think that this idea to say, hey, we're experimenting with cutting back one day a week, work week, it's about to go nationwide in Spain. I think that's pretty cool. A mass shift to a three-day weekend will lead to more consumption and entertainment and tourism. I'm not really a fan of the entertainment and tourism necessarily either. But we live in a different society, folks. We live in a seriously different society. Uh, it used to be that people were farmers or worked for themselves and they were self-employed. And if they had to go to the dentist or the doctor or do something, they just did. But now that you have both people working for other employers, you've got to give people time to be a family, to live their lives, and to take care of their personal needs. And if you don't, people just experience burnout, especially when they're working at home now and there's no real clock. You're just kind of on the clock 24-7. we got to be really careful not to tap people out and burn people out. We need to scale back. I don't believe by force by government, but I do believe it's a great idea. Uh, by choice, people need to schedule their lives. Uh, to have work-life balance. Anyway, pretty cool segment. Thanks for being alongside for the ride. Am and Bundy next. You are listening to the one and only Liberty Roundtable Live, libertyroundtable.com, lovingliberty.net. Spread the word, donate liberally. We declare this nation shall endure. the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West. West. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk radio Show. Talk show. Down in there. All right. Happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman, live on your radio. Hard-hitting news the network refused to use. No doubt continues now. This, my fellow Americans, is indeed the broadcast for April the 6th in the year of our Lord, 2021. This is our two of two and our goal always to protect life, liberty, and property and to promote God, family, and country on your radio and the traditions of our founding fathers. You know we reject revolution. You know we stand for peaceful restoration of the greatest country on the face of the earth, right? All right, dozens of big companies paid zero in federal taxes. The mainstream press loves that headline. 
And the reason they love that headline, ladies and gentlemen, is because they want you to believe that all oh, these big companies, man, they're getting away with murder. By golly, we've got to raise taxes on them. And I want to kind of jettison that narrative for a second. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand that you've got to reject that narrative. Okay? You've got to jettison that narrative. Let me explain why. Dozens of big companies paid zero in federal taxes. Businesses, I know you believe they pay taxes, folks. But I want you to understand that businesses don't really pay taxes. You say, what are you talking about, Sam? Look, all businesses do is buy and sell goods and services. And if you make them pay a bunch of taxes, all it does is make you believe that it doesn't hit the average wallet. But it just hits the average wallet in a backhanded way. Okay? So government uh, basically then forces business to pay taxes Businesses pay taxes, but then all they do is they look at their business, what they're selling, whether it be a product or a service, and they say, hey, we've got to build the cost of that tax into our product and or our service. Right? Don't tell me that isn't true. That's factual, right? So let me give you an example. Patricia Cohen wrote this article. And it says FedEx and Nike or Nike are among those who avoided U.S. tax liability for three straight years. They want you to believe that they got out of something, right? They got away with something, those companies. Just as the Biden administration is pushing to raise taxes on corporations, a new study shows that at least 55 of America's largest companies paid no taxes last year on billions of dollars in profits, okay? Now, I don't believe they paid no taxes because I believe they paid property tax. They paid all kinds of tax, okay? They're talking about income tax or whatever term you want to use, okay? They say the sweeping tax bill passed back in 2017 under the Donald Trump administration they say by a Republican Congress and signed into law by Donald J. Trump, reduced the corporate tax rate to 21%, down from 35%. But dozens of Fortune 500 companies were able to further shrink their tax bills, sometimes to zero, thanks to a range of legal deductions and exemptions that have become staples of the tax code. That's according to the analysis uh, that Archer Daniels Midland and Consolidated Edison, I guess those are the people that did this kind of research or whatever, uh, they were among those named in the report. All right. It was done by the Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy, the left-leaning, whacked-out research group in Washington. They say 26 of the companies listed, including FedEx, Duke Energy, and Nike, were able to avoid paying any federal income tax 
for the last three years. Even though they reported a combined income of $77 billion in income. Many also received millions and billions of dollars in tax rebates. Companies' tax returns are usually private, but publicly traded corporations are required to file financial reports that include federal income tax expense, if you will. Anyway, the story goes on. But the reason I want to highlight this, folks, is number one, businesses don't really pay taxes. People pay taxes. And if you force these big companies to pay these taxes, all you're really doing is fleecing the wallets of the people kind of behind the scenes or indirectly. So be very careful when you push uh, and say, oh, man, all these companies avoided the taxes. Let's, let's tax everybody harder. Let's get the other guy. That's a mistake. Here's my opinion. The income tax comes straight from Satan's spawn. Okay, the income tax is evil as all get out. It's one of the ten planks of the communist manifesto. Okay, how we let this even grow up around us in America is beyond my imagination. But ladies and gentlemen, reject the income tax completely. Just shut that cursed satanic organization, the IRS, completely down. Because it's a criminal enterprise. Because it's unconstitutional. Because it's part of the communist manifesto, that's why. Okay, so don't delight in taxing the other guy. If you want to support appropriate proper of government, then fund it legitimately with an indirect apportionment tax or a tariff at the border tax. Those are constitutional taxes that, that are justifiable to pay for the proper role of government. But when you promote property taxes or income taxes, you're just back in the Communist Manifesto and deceiving yourself. So, you know what? They make this big to-do in the mainstream press about, hey, you know, let's go ahead and uh, look at these companies that are just getting away with murder by avoiding these taxes. No, businesses don't pay taxes. People do, ladies and gentlemen. And all it does is materialize in their goods or services offered. And it's a disaster. Don't let the government or anybody else deceive you on these critical points. Okay? So, you know what? I'm glad these dozens of companies paid zero in federal taxes. And rather than wanting to tax the other guy, I find myself saying, how do we get the rest of, rest of us out of those cursed taxes that are fueling government that just becomes the enemy of the people in the first place? Anyway, I digress. Ammon Bundy, my friend, welcome back, sir. Thanks for having me. How are you doing, Sam? Good, sir. What do you think of my rant on the income tax? I just can't take it anymore, sir. I love it. I, I, I love it. I think you're right on, and I think people need to understand what's funding the tyranny, and uh, it's income tax. We've got to take money away from these thugs, or they just, they just have too much time and too much money to abuse us, don't they? Yeah, and they can keep growing and growing. They don't produce people, you know, they do not produce anything. They do not produce a product. They do not produce anything. So that in order for them to survive, they have to take. And uh, that's what they do. And then they just keep growing and growing and, you know, getting their buddies and friends and everybody else that they want in their department. And they just keep growing and growing. And where do you think it's going to end? All right. There you have it. Anyway, I appreciate uh, Ammon Bundy's comments on that. And uh, I really want to talk about Ammon Bundy's experiences, though. Ammon Bundy denounces corruption in the state of Idaho. And I don't think uh, Idaho is as corrupt as many states, but every state seems to have their fair share of corruption. So let's start at the beginning, Ammon Bundy. You were going peacefully 
uh, into the state capitol to kind of watch the proceedings and keep an eye on things and uh, to kind of express guidance and leadership on uh, certain things they should and should not do uh, based on the Constitution and the rule of law and the proper rule of government. They didn't like you going in, did they? No, and uh, they didn't, you know, like us. Uh, they thought that I was going to be an influence on the legislatures, uh, and so they made a hold on a minute. Stop! 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 What do you mean? You're supposed to influence your legislatures, aren't you? Exactly. That's what Americans are supposed to do. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's what we're, that's what I thought was the proper way to go about things. I've always been told that, and. You know, we had quite a bit of influence on the legislatures, and so we were headed to the special, quote-unquote, special legislative session where the governor was trying to pass in an immunity bill that would make him unaccountable for any of his COVID decisions in Idaho here. And, uh, you know, a bunch of us showed up. There's several hundred of us showed up, and they uh, blocked the the doors to the house session so we couldn't come into the proceedings uh they literally put armed guards idaho state police and guarded the doors and wouldn't let us in and so this was in august and so we after trying hold on to a minute. help before you hold on a minute before you go on Ammon, i don't understand they guarded the door isn't this like a public place this is the capitol building you have to understand i mean that that's just you know, very similar thing happened at the, you know, in Washington, D.C., where these people wanted to go behind doors. They wanted to, you know, do things outside the view of the public. And they wanted to, um, you know, uh, go about business as normal without people knowing what they were doing. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is unacceptable. I just wanted to start the story out. We're going to come straight back and let Adam Ammon Bundy rock and roll and tell you exactly what happened from the start. Last August, this all kind of happened. Ammon Bundy wanted accountability and wanted to know what was going on with the government. Ammon Bundy denounces corruption in Idaho. We'll get to it in seconds on your radio. Scott Bradley here. Most Americans are painfully aware that the nation is on the wrong track and in dire straits. Unfortunately, most political pundits only nibble around the edges when they claim to address the issues. Even worse, many of the so-called solutions are simply rewarmed servings of what got us into the mess we currently face. And the politicians think we're so gullible and naive that we'll buy their lies that they have reformed and now understand where they led us astray. Unfortunately, the truth of the matter is that they simply wish to continue to hold power. The solution to America's challenges is found in returning to the timeless principles found in the United States Constitution. My book and lecture series will reawaken in Americans an understanding and love of the principles which made this nation the freest, most prosperous, happiest, and most respected nation on earth. Visit to preservethenation.com and order my book and lectures to begin the restoration of this great nation. Okay, girls, about finished with your lesson on money. Daddy, what is a buy-sell spread for gold coins? Well, when you sell a gold coin to a coin shop that's worth, say, $1,200, you don't actually get $1,200. But don't worry, we're members of UPMA now, so we don't have to worry about that. 
Daddy, what if somebody steals our gold? We don't have any gold at the house. It's stored safely in the UPMA vault, securely and insured. But the S&P 500 outperformed gold. Daddy, gold is a bad investment. Some people do think of it that way. But actually, gold is money. And as members of the United Precious Metals Association, we can use our gold at any store, just like a credit card. Or I can ask them to drop it right into Mommy and Daddy's bank account, because we're a UPMA member family. Find out more at upma.org. That's upma.org. Promoting God, family, and country. You are listening to Liberty Roundtable Radio. All right, back with you live, ladies and gentlemen. Sam Bushman, Ammon Bundy with me. So last August, Ammon wanted to peacefully go to the Idaho State Capitol. He wanted to sit in on the proceedings, and he wanted to advocate for certain things and against certain things that were happening legislatively. You know, usually they encourage us to do that every day. They're like, hey, you got to support your congressmen and senators. You got to support your state. You got to get out and vote. You got to be active and, and, you know, proactive in the process. This is America. It takes people being involved. And well, when Ammon Bundy does it, they call it cops. What the heck's going on, Ammon? Well, you know, there was a, hundreds of us there. I don't, you know, I don't want to think that they did it just for me. I, uh, they, literally tried to block us all from coming into our own Capitol building. And uh, actually one ISP officer, when the people were saying, this is our house, this is our house, he says, no, this is our house. And he, <laughs> and they really believed it because they were physically blocking and uh, people from coming in. And ultimately what happened is people pushed their way into the gallery, it filled it up and went into all the overflows and so forth. And, the Idaho State Police, you know, felt uh, disrespected, I guess. But the plot continued, um, and that's when the governor, the speaker of the House, the uh, Senate pro temp, and others um, got together, and they basically conspired. Not yet, basically, they did. They conspired to remove me from the uh, Capitol building. And the next day they created a situation. I could go into detail, but they basically created a situation um, where, uh, where they arrested me. And, uh, and one other guy who was trying to film me, um, and they actually arrested another lady. They drug her. Anyway, I won't even get into that, but they drug, grabbed her by the neck and drug her into room, into the room and then trespassed her. And they did that so it, look, so it wouldn't look like they were just trying to arrest me. And all this has been uncovered now. Um, anyway, so I spent that day uh, in jail um, and then uh, got out that evening. The next day, I went back to the uh, Capitol building, sat in the Senate gallery, just, you know, just went in. I wasn't even with hardly any people, very, very few people there, sat down in the Senate gallery. ISP came in and arrested me again, drugged me off. Hold on, before they came and arrested you again, 
Before they uh, arrested you again, they came over to you and said, will you please remove your hat? And you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm sorry. And you politely removed your hat. And you were demonstrating a very cooperative, um, appropriate behavior attitude, as you always have. I've seen you in many, many places. Um, this is no different, and they know that. Let's make that point yeah, clear, no, I, Cameron. I, I was, you know, I was well, you know, well within respect. I, I never, you know, did anything to cause trouble, disrupt, or to interrupt any of the proceedings, nothing. I was just participating. I was there. And, yeah, so when I first came in the Senate gallery, I came in, I was just about ready to sit down, and the ISP officer that was there, uh, kind of just in the, that area, I think it was kind of a normal thing, he came over, and I guess it's a Senate rule to remove your hat, and I would want to do it anyway, but I had... I just hadn't done it yet. I was sitting down. So I immediately removed my hat and sat down. And um, it wasn't very long after that. They came, uh, a whole group of ISP officers came, surrounded me, um, and arrested me and drug me off to, uh, to jail where I spent that day, night, and the next morning in jail um, in a terribly cold condition. Um, you know, and, um, and then they trespassed me from the Capitol building for a year and, and we've uncovered a whole bunch of stuff that they planned on doing that so that I couldn't influence the legislatures, not only for the special session that was going on, but also for the 2021 session that's going on now. Uh, because if I go step on the Capitol grounds right now, they, they'll arrest me. And uh, so, you know, they've done that so they can do business as normal. But hold on a minute. Hold on. I, hold on. I got to understand this, Hammond, for a second. I, I don't mean to interrupt, but I just got to understand this. So wait a minute. You're prohibited from being on the Capitol for a year on what grounds? What crime? What What justifies such a... I mean, everybody can go on the Capitol peacefully and just uh, mill about and participate in the legislative process and all this. What are, have you committed a crime? No, I mean, you know, like I said, I I was just peacefully there, disrupting nothing, acting well within my rights, and I was targeted by the governor, by the Speaker of the House, uh, uh, by the pro temp, who all of them had. Uh, a plan to do certain things during these legislative sessions and to try to pass certain things because this is a great opportunity during the COVID and now they have all this billions of federal funding and they are literally wanting to legitimize all the things that they have dreamed about for years and years and years. And I was there possibly going to disrupt their plan. And so they, cause I was going to, you know, bring people and make people aware and, and people were not going to just be, uh, you know, uninformed because that's what we've been doing. And they felt like if they could remove me, that they could end the influence that we were having on the on the legislatures. Uh, and that was their plan. And that's what they pulled off. And they did it in August. And they also have done it now. And now the legislative session is almost over here in Idaho. But what is their excuse to say you can't be on the Capitol for the next year, though? I don't understand how you can just create an well, edict like that when there's no criminal activity or justification. 
So what they did, this is an interesting thing too, and I've been in contact with the legislature. So in 2011, I believe it was, uh, the legislature, Idaho legislature passed, uh, and really what, really what they did is they rewrote the uh, trespassing laws in Idaho. And they made them really a lot stronger because there was a lot of people that were going on private property and hunting and not respecting boundaries and so forth. So they strengthened them. And, of course, what the bureaucrats did, what the prosecutors and the others have done, the, you know, the, they used this trespassing law to start trespassing people on private property, or excuse me, public property. They started using these same, the, these were private property trespassing laws to keep people from going on private property when the owners didn't want it. And now what they're saying is they're saying that the bureaucrats are saying that they're the owners of these public properties. So therefore they can use these private property trespassing laws against the people. And, and those laws carry a one year, um, basically, uh, exclusion from the property where you can't go on it for a year. Hold and on a minute. These government bureaucrats think they own the public property and therefore they claim ownership now. So in one of the motions in our litigation, the prosecutors actually argued in a motion that the Speaker of the House owned the property, owned the Capitol building. Uh, and that was, their, that was their argument. They actually argued that in, in their own motions. And, uh, you know, obviously we but, – but that is indicative to what is happening. Uh, people like we, we, we are in terrible circumstances, awful situations. Because we have those in government, most of them are employed by the government, not necessarily elected. Most of them are employed. And they literally believe that they own the rights of the people. They own the right of a person. They own a person's body. They could say, you have to have a filter over your face if you go outside. They say they own your businesses and they can tell you when to open them and close them. They say that they own your right to travel. They, they can stop you from traveling. Um, they can stop you from going. They say that they own the right, your right to worship. But they can say when you can worship, when you, where you can worship, and how you can worship. These are the things that are facing us right now. And so it's no, to me, in some way, it's still alarming. It's still uh, terrible. But them claiming that they own the Capitol building is very minimal, I want in comparison to them saying they own my body. Both uh, are really along the same lines, though, where you have bureaucrats that are not uh, elected. They're uh, appointed and or, you know, whatever you want to say, employees or whatever. Uh, and you have no checks and balances. You have no opportunity for a redress of grievance. You have no opportunity for transparency, you have no oppor- uh, opportunity to have a jury of your peers. You have no opportunity to uh, hold them uh, to account. And this is the problem we're experiencing, ladies and gentlemen. Ammon Bundy continues on Liberty Roundtable Live in seconds. Exposing corruption. Informing citizens. Pursuing liberty. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. 
USA Radio News with Lance Pry. Major League Baseball in a knee-jerk reaction moved its All-Star game to Colorado. After the league announced Friday, it was pulling the game out of Atlanta in protest of the state's new voter ID law. It should be noted, Colorado requires voters to present identification when voting. CBS News appears to be stepping back from a hit piece against Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis. The report on Sunday outlined an alleged pay-for-play scheme involving DeSantis accepting a $100,000 donation for his campaign from a grocery store chain for the right to distribute the COVID vaccine. Republican and Democrat critics blasted the report for deceptive editing by CBS that omitted DeSantis' explanation for the vaccine strategy. The Texas Rangers welcomed a crowd of at least 38,000 fans to Globe Life Field in Arlington Monday for the team's home opener against the Toronto Blue Jays. The game marked the first full-capacity sporting event since coronavirus shut down all sporting events more than a year ago. USA Radio News. Hello, this is Wayne Alaroot for our newest sponsor, Asset Strategies, or ASI for short. ASI is a precious metals powerhouse. They sell gold and silver. Never in history has there been a more important moment to buy gold and silver. ASI has been in business for 39 years. They've served over 20,000 clients and sold $5 billion worth of gold, silver, and precious metals with zero complaints. Last year, gold saw gains of 25%. Silver nearly doubled gold's performance. Now Democrats are in charge. Green New Deal, open borders, free health care for illegals. Bailout broke cities and states. The debt is about to go through the stratosphere. The time to buy is now. The owners of ASI, Michael and Rich Checkin, have been my close personal friends for 16 years. ASI is the company I trust when it comes to buying and selling precious metals. Call now to receive a free consultation and a free one-ounce Silver Eagle with every qualifying purchase when you mention the Wayne Allyn Root Show. Call 800-831-0007. That's 800-831-0007. Or visit AssetStrategies.com. Are your 2020 taxes completed yet? Sure, we have an additional month to get them done this year, but there's a money reason to get them done. Tim Berg from the Phoenix USA Radio News Bureau reports. A third batch of $1,400 stimulus checks is out the door. The latest round reportedly includes plus-up payments to those eligible for more money if their 2020 tax returns have been processed by the IRS. More than 130 million people so far have received checks that were authorized in the massive stimulus bill that was recently signed by President Biden. The IRS is urging taxpayers to get their taxes filed so they can take advantage of all money coming to them. The tax deadline has been moved back to Monday, May 15th. Baylor captured its first NCAA men's basketball national title through an 86-70 pummeling of Gonzaga on Monday night. Game took place at Lucas Oil Stadium. Bears coach Scott Drew was spotted with a basketball net around his neck and a smile on his face. Thanks for listening. We are USA Radio News. Begging politicians, bureaucrats, and educrats, and all do-getters to please obey the supreme law of the land, the Constitution. This is Liberty Roundtable. Out-of-control bureaucrats and thugs are taking this to the new level, ladies and gentlemen. Government officials believe they have literally uh, ownership of not only government buildings and everything else, the capital in Idaho being the one we're discussing, uh, and our bodies. They can tell you where you need to be, where you need to leave. You need to leave here. Why, sir? Because I said so. Well, there's no law against me staying here. I know, but I'm in charge, and you're out of here. We'll take you out by force if you don't comply. They did that to Ammon Bundy last August in the Idaho uh, legislative uh, session. He was monitoring that in the Capitol, a public place, peacefully, uh, not causing any trouble. They arrested him. 
Bottom line is uh, Ammon pushed back and uh, literally uh, was arrested, but he got out, pushed back, said, hey, this isn't going to happen. There's corruption in Idaho. We're going to get to the bottom of it. So Ammon keeps digging and working on this thing. And now Ammon Bundy and Aaron Schmidt uh, had an incredible motion to dismiss. You want to talk about that, Ammon? Let's start there. Well, we basically put together everything that we have discovered and uncovered uh, over the coronavirus, uh, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> and uh, scare, right? And um, we we published it, and we published it in a motion uh, to the court. And um, it's a 21-page document, and it has 99 exhibits. Uh, there'll probably be some added to that as well. But we started basically from the very beginning, and I don't have time on this show, but I would like to summarize it because this is why they did not want us at the Capitol building because we had been so effective at exposing the truth of what was happening. And ultimately, I'll just kind of give you a little quick background. This is a little quick background. Is on March 13th is um, when President Trump held a press conference, and he said that he was going to release $50 billion of federal relief funds to states that were in a state of emergency. Well, that very same day, Governor Little, Brad Little here in Idaho, put the state of Idaho in a state of emergency. And on, the, on his own governor's website, he confirmed that Idaho had only one COVID case. So it was obvious why he did it. He didn't do it because of, of COVID. He did it because of federal funding. And then a few days later, on March 25th, Governor Little put us in a state of em- extreme state of emergency, excuse me. Uh, and that was the very same day that President Trump and Speaker Nancy Pelosi and the Senate uh, passed, agreed upon a $2 trillion federal stimulus deal um, for those states that were in extreme emergency. And so it was obvious what Governor Little was doing. And that the problem is on March 25th, he made a proclamation putting the state in extreme emergency, but he also ordered self-isolation. He did a self-isolation order. And this is where it gets really terrible because he inflicted upon the people of Idaho and literally by order uh, using martial law, Idaho martial law uh, powers. He ordered the people to self-isolate in their place of residence, uh, only for, only uh, to go out to uh, to perform uh, government-approved essential activities that were listed. He ordered the non uh, the seat to uh, business owners to cease non-essential operations defined by the order. He prohibited individuals from gathering in any number, including religious services, peaceful assembly, and family gatherings. He ordered the cessation of all non-approved travel, requiring uh, essential workers to carry essential critical identification cards, and then, of course, mandating social distancing. And this was his first move, and he simply did it uh, so that the Department of Treasury would transfer billions of dollars to the office of the governor of Idaho. Now, people will be might like, well, 
are you sure you're correct, Ammon? And I would like to read to you. I know it's kind of boring a little bit to read, but I think I think your listeners will find this very, uh, you know, I don't know, revealing because this is exactly. I agree. I've what read the 20- whole twenty-one page. I've read the whole twenty-one page uh, document that Ammon Bundy uh, and Aaron filed. Uh, incredible motion to dismiss was not filed in court, but shared with the public. And thank heavens, the judges saw the light to some degree, but they still got a ways to go. But here's the details of the order that Ammon is really pushing back against. Uh, This is criminal activity at the highest levels of government. It's not only Idaho, it's all over the country. That's why we're bringing it to your attention, folks. Go ahead, Ammon. Yeah, so executive order number 2020. So uh, he lists here that, well, I'm just going to read. So he says, whereas, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll just summarize, or I'll just hit the main point. Whereas I issued a proclamation on March 13, 2020, and whereas I issued a proclamation on March 25, 2020, uh, declaring the state of extreme emergency in the state of Idaho. And he says, pursuant to Chapter 6, Title 46, which is the Martial Law Code of Idaho. And then he says, whereas each of these proclamations remain in effect today. Then he says, whereas Congress... So this is the reasoning. Whereas Congress has passed and President Trump has signed three legislative packages that provide state funding in response to COVID-19, whereas I anticipate additional congressional action on a federal relief package, on federal relief packages to states regarding COVID-19. Now, therefore, I, Brad Little, governor of the state of Idaho, do hereby order the creation of a COVID-19 financial advisory committee um, compromising of members appointed by and serving at the pleasure of the governor um, for the coronavirus relief funds and other funds to be administered by the office of the governor. So he literally passed so the let law. Me, let me just interpret this really quick. He literally yeah. became the legislative body, passed a law in his state and said, hey, I'm going to create a committee to receive all these funds based on my lying that we're in an extreme um, you know, critical situation. Therefore, I had to, you know, put us in this extreme emergency situation. Now I'm going to create an organization where I can appoint all my friends to take care of the cash, right? Yeah, and it even says at the pleasure of the governor. So, um, I mean, that's that's what he did. He he literally did this uh, to to the people of Idaho. He took us using the um, using the Martial law uh, uh, code of Idaho. He put the state of Idaho in an extreme state of emergency. And I want to read something really quick. And I know, you know, sometimes he's, but this is the martial law order that he used. It's literally Title 46.6, the martial law and active duty. It says authority of the governor. And it says during a period of state of extreme emergency, the governor shall have complete authority over all agencies of the government including all separate boards and commissions and the right to exercise all policing powers vested in the state. This is what he did. And this is what we're still under today in Idaho. And Utah's problem is the very same thing. So he literally put the state under uh, a dictatorship where he has control of all, all the government and all the policing power. And then he's, he's, he put us in extreme state of emergency and received at least has received at least $8.1 billion of federal funding that came to the office of the governor 
And then he created, got his buddies and put them on this board, this committee that he says will determine where the funds go at the pleasure of the governor. I mean, what has happened here is literally uh, a tyrant's dream. Am, and it makes you ask the question, you know, what would I do if I were king for a day? I, mean, I, I joke not. This is serious, serious business. There was no national emergency. There was no state emergency. There was no extreme emergency. There was no justification for government to shut everybody down and then to demand the cash and to play games with the state of emergency, to, to become king and then appoint all your buddies to receive all the cash and decide what to do with it. We need to follow the money. Where have they spent a lot of this money? Well, and the, the you know the thing is, is normally in Idaho and all the states under a Republican form of government, right? Uh, the legislatures are the ones that determine where the state funds go. But he made it so now, uh, and the 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 state funds if, or the state budget is about one point eight billion dollars a year or $1.5 in, in Idaho. That's about what we deal with a year. Well, he just received $8.1 billion, and he, there's no legislative oversight. He gets, he gets to spend it how he wants to, at his own pleasure, while he's... What is your normal dollars per year? Martial law. About $1.5 So you're talking about six years or so, ladies and gentlemen, of flat-out cash with zero oversight based on an extreme emergency... The governor becomes a king or queen for more than a day. Let's talk about it with Ammon Bundy in seconds. Why don't we say to the government writ large that they have to spend a little bit less? Anybody ever had less money this year than you had last? Anybody better have a 1% pay cut? You deal with it. That's what government needs, a 1% pay cut. If you take a 1% pay cut across the board, you have more than enough money to actually pay for the disaster relief. But nobody's going to do that because they're fiscally irresponsible. Who are they? Republicans. Who are they? Democrats. Who are they? Virtually the whole body is careless and reckless with your money. So the money will not be offset by cuts anywhere. The money will be added to the debt, and there will be a day of reckoning. What's the day of reckoning? The day of reckoning may well be the collapse of the stock market. The day of reckoning may be the collapse of the dollar. When it comes, I can't tell you exactly, but I can tell you it has happened repeatedly in history when countries ruin their currency. You know where the solution can be found, Mr. President? In churches, in wedding chapels, in maternity wards across the country and around the world. More babies will mean forward-looking adults, the sort we need to tackle long-term, large-scale problems. American babies in particular are likely going to be wealthier, better educated, and more conservation-minded than children raised in still industrializing countries. As economist Tyler Cowen recently wrote, quote, by having more children, you're making your nation more populous, thus boosting its capacity to solve climate change. The planet does not need for us to think globally and act locally so much as it needs us to think family and act personally. The solution to so many of our problems, at all times and in all places, is to fall in love 
get married and have some kids. With news the networks refuse to use. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. What would you do, ladies and gentlemen, if you're a king or queen for a day? What if you're a bureaucrat and you could just seize power on a pretend emergency, a pretend extreme emergency? What would you do if you could just leverage eight plus billion dollars without any oversight and appoint your friends and your buddies in the good old boy network to go ahead and minister the cash? Well, all this stuff's going on in Colorado. It's going, I'm sorry, in Idaho. It's going on in states across the union where literally you had this pretend pandemic happen. You literally had government bureaucrats everywhere just seize unprecedented power, claiming they have authority, claiming they own your body, claiming they own land and the Capitol and public buildings and et cetera, et cetera. And now we're taking it to a new level. We're literally grabbing cash on a false premise. So Ammon Bundy and others are going to the legislature, watching and trying to hold them accountable and uh, expose a lot of what's going on here, make sure that it's transparent, following the money, et cetera, et cetera. And then they literally arrest Ammon Bundy. Ammon Bundy pushes back, gets a lot of the details exposed, uh, and then basically um, they decide, hmm, we got to let go of some of these cases. So they do. However, there's more. So now Ammon Bundy's and Aaron Smith's Incredible motion to dismiss was not filed in court, but shared in to the public and in public opinion or the court of public opinion, if you will. I guess it got the judge to send this egregious action to mediation. Does that imply there's no evidence to justify a court case? You decide, ladies and gentlemen, they made this whole uh, thing uh, public where you can see it and read it. Uh, But the bottom line is now they want to go to mediation. The problem is we've never heard of such a thing in these kind of cases. They say you're a criminal, but they don't really have charges. You don't get a jury of your peers. You don't get uh, the ability to kind of subpoena information. You don't get the ability to to gather all the information that you need or whatever. Um, They just want to go to mediation. Uh, Very strange proceedings on the back end of this, Ammon. Yeah, so... We've been litigating this for eight months now, and it's been heavy, heavy litigation. Um, you know, I've it's been, we've litigated it like a federal trial, like or like a federal uh, case, and so we're talking about you know many, many motions, hours and days and weeks and months of of litigation back and forth. And we have been insisting from the very beginning that we get a trial, a trial, a fair and a public trial uh, of a jury from a jury of our peers with the jury of our peers. And they have denied this and denied this and denied this. And finally, on um, March 15th, they set a trial or they set a trial date for March 15th. Now, remember, this happened in August. So speedy trial rights are completely thrown out the the door and now we're seven months later and they finally set a trial date and so we go to that trial and we go we get there we get ready to go in we're all prepared we're ready to go and they stop us at the door and say we can't come in without a mask 
well, I don't wear a mask because I believe very strongly that it is my right to make that decision over my body. And I feel like the mask would become something uh, somewhat of a symbol of those who will accept tyranny and those who won't. And so I said, no, I don't wear a mask. And I said, but I do have a right to come into my trial. I read all the Idaho laws that allow that say that they can't block or not allow people to come into the courtroom, but they sat there with armed guards, wouldn't let us in. And meanwhile, our trial proceedings began, and the judge and the prosecutor had an ex parte procedure that they went through for a period of time. And then the judge issued a failure to appear to me, myself, to Aaron and myself, a failure to appear while we're trying to get in the courtroom. And and then they uh, sent the officers out and arrested us and drug us into the courtrooms without masks, arrested us, and threw us in the cold boxes at the Ada County Jail for almost 35 hours. And some terrible things happened during that period. And so now we were like, wait a minute, like, I mean, we they're not even allow, allowing us to have trial. Anyway, so then last Friday we had a hearing, and we get on. It was a very short uh, hearing, and the judge basically says, uh, I called this status hearing, or status, uh, hearing uh, to order you to a mediation. Now, this was after we had uh, made the, this motion public. So we made the motion public from the time we – from after we got out of jail to – between the time we got out of jail and this hearing. And so now the judge was able to see all the evidence and to be able to go through this motion and see how they literally conspired against us. And now he's getting scared and he's wanting to back off, back away and separate, you know, distance himself from this because of his action. And he's saying, oh, I want you to go. I'm going to order you and the prosecutor to go in the back room and try to make some kind of deal so that none of this is on record and that we could just be done with it. And that's what he tried to do, push it in mediation. And mediation is something you do in a civil case, not a criminal case. And so it's all very odd. So does he have authority? I don't know if you have attorneys or if you're doing this yourself, or do they have authority to just mandate mediation in this kind of a case when they're, I don't know what you mediate. Either you're guilty of a crime or you're not. And if you're guilty of a crime, let's, let's lay out the crimes. And if you're not guilty of a crime, then it's time to dismiss, sir. Yeah, exactly. And see, that's why they don't want to dismiss because then it'll be on record and all the things that they have done to us will be on record. And, yeah, but hold and on. It needs be to be official. on record if they hold on. It needs to be on record if they've committed uh, acts that they should not act. And it needs to be made an example of so that this doesn't happen to innocent people again. I know, but that's what they don't want. It absolutely needs to be. And, and we're going to do our best to get it on record. But they're trying to just dissolve it. By mediation, he's literally saying, I'm no longer going to be the decider on here as the judge, or the jury is not going to get the chance. We want you to go in a back room and make a decision together, like agree upon something to make this all go away. That's what he's saying. That's what mediation is. You go, and there is a mediator that's assigned by the court, and you basically work it out, and you say, okay, look, you give me this, I'll give you that, da-da-da, and then, okay, we'll make it go away. 
That's what they're wanting can't us you just to do. Say, can't you just issue your side of mediation publicly and just say, hey, in mediation, we're not willing to give on anything. We're simply telling you to dismiss the case. And if you dismiss the case, then our mediation is complete. And if you don't dismiss the case, then mediation failed, and we're going to move to the courts. Yeah, that, and that's what, that's, what, that's what we'll do, you know. But, but the thing is, is, there's something that's called jeopardy here where speedy trial, uh, the reason why our founders set the speedy trial was so that someone doesn't have to sit here under what they call jeopardy, which is, uh, you know, having to fight a case, not being able to move forward with their life, all the trial and trauma that comes with being prosecuted. It was supposed to be a very short period of time. Uh, well, this mediation now is at the end of this month, and then once it, you know, who knows what will happen there. And we're, gonna, we're talking about it, you know, coming up on a year probably by the time there's even resolution. Well, we were, we were supposed to be able to go to court. We wanted to get our trial. We wanted to get in front of a jury and see, you know, that. Yeah, but what you, really need to do is get, what you really need to do is get back to the legislative session where you belong. Well, and that's the other thing is they're, they're, they, the session's almost over. I'm not going to have any influence they they were able to do what they wanted to do uh cover up what they wanted to cover up and continue the the governor's order to get as many much money as they they could from the federal government they've accomplished that already and um i haven't been able to go there without a threat of being arrested and um and so you know these are the abuses and the way that they 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 work, and we have to at some point say, "Look, this just isn't working for us. This, this process, this type of government, you know, uh, putting the people under a dictatorship and then keeping them there indefinitely, and then getting uh, basically the massive redistribution of of the people's wealth uh, into the government's hands. This isn't going to work anymore. This isn't working anymore." But you know, people have to wake up and understand what's really happening here. Do they say you've committed a crime? Yeah, trespassing. Yeah, but didn't the they dismiss bit. all the? Didn't they dismiss the trespassing and realize that uh, well, it's so not there trespassing? Was tres- there was two trespassing charges, right? Uh, because of the first day and the second day in the Senate, they they had to drop the second trespassing charge because they didn't have authority. They had to acknowledge they didn't even have authority to trespass me in the Senate, but they still hold held on to this first one, this first trespassing charge, and that's what they're trying to prosecute me on and what's continuing. All right, so I got to understand who the victim is. Then help me understand. Uh, you know, usually if there's a crime committed or some kind of criminal activity, there's got to be a victim somewhere, doesn't there? Well, I, I can't see anybody a victim except Aaron and I. I mean, we're the ones that have spent literally now over a week in jail. Um, we're the ones that have been, you know, stripped of our rights. We're the ones that have had, had to spend the enormous amount of time and, and effort and, and money to try to defend ourselves. And all we were doing was be a present at the Capitol building during the legislative session. That's it. Not being disruptive, not being uh, belligerent, not doing anything but acting well within our rights. And um, so I don't know, but that's what the government does. The government claims that somehow they're the victim, and so therefore they can prosecute us. And the, everything is upside down. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to pray for Emin Bundy. 
Uh, are you raising money for this? How expensive is this for you, Ammon? I'm not raising money. We're defending, primarily doing most of it ourselves. And um, I know, I just want people to know that I, I know for certain that we will prevail in this. We've already pretty much broke their backs on this case already. We will prevail because God has given us the advantage once again, just as he always has with my family in these situations and many others that will follow the guidance and direction of the Lord. So we will prevail. I'm not afraid of that. But what needs to be done is people need to be aware and understand of the situation that they're in so that they will wake up. And this is another opportunity for people to understand and wake up. Ladies and gentlemen, this is critical because if they can get away with this, this is kind of a landmark case in my opinion, Ammon. If they can get away with this, then there's no telling what they'll do next to the people, to whoever it be. I mean, you won't be able to even speak out. Uh, if you decide not to wear a mask, they won't even allow you to just, you know, leave a place. They'll simply hunt you down and round you up and noncompliance. And you know what? They're taking off the gloves if they can push and win this. So we're grateful you're fighting back and that you're standing uh, for the sacred cause of liberty. We asked them to jettison this bogus idea of mediation. I want to know who the victim is. Let's just start with those things. Let's ask the judge why you don't get a jury of your peers, as is the American way. And why isn't Ammon innocent until proven guilty? They haven't proven trespass. Whose land, whose property, who owns the capital? Is it bureaucrats or the people? What's going on in America is the real question. Ammon, thanks. Come back and tell us what happens, will you? Yes, thank you. Thank you, Sam. Ammon Bundy doing a great job, ladies and gentlemen. People's rights to learn more. God save the republic.